You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here with the CEO and president of Blumenthal Performing Arts, Tom Gabbard, so let's hear, let, let's talk a little bit about this, right? So here's some numbers that are going to blow your mind. In the USA, which industry would you say contributed $877.8 billion, that's with a B, or about 4.5% of the total GDP? Is it tech, finance, construction? No, no, and no again. It is the arts. The arts are a huge part of what makes a city vibrant and exciting, attracting new business and talent. And really, they make an impact in this community, in any community that it's involved. And that's really the bottom line. Now, Charlotte is incredibly lucky to have some amazing talent, but not only you know, in the art scene, but also helping guide some of these creative institutions. Tom is one of those people. Like I mentioned, he is the president and CEO of Blumenthal Performing Arts for nearly 20 years which is amazing. Congratulations on that. And we are excited to learn more about that today. He is our guest on the award-winning Brand Builders podcast. Thank you, Tom, and welcome to this episode. Thank you. Great to be here. Tom, we're honored, man. I can't wait to learn more. And uh, thank you for all you've done for Charlotte and our community. Um, We appreciate you being here. And so no doubt you've seen a ton of change in Charlotte over the past 20 years and beyond. Um, What are some of the things that stand out to you in that regard? There has been a ton of change, and I would characterize it as generally for the good. Uh, and and uh, in the arts, I I can I feel like we're really coming into our own in many respects. In spite of the problems, uh, I I feel like Charlotte Charlotte's art scene is finding a really healthy place. You know, it was initially to some degree a part of a, a, a civic strategy to make us an international finance center to, to create assets like Blumenthal Performing Arts uh, and, and other f- major facilities that a world-class city would have. And and thankfully, we've built a number of those facilities. Now, I think we're seeing people actually engage in the arts as, as arts lovers, consumers, ticket buyers, aficionados, to see people much more actively engaged, much more curious about the arts than when I came here 20 years ago. That's a very, very healthy thing. People not only love the arts, but they want to be personally involved. That's something, you know, that I think is part of our maturation as a city that I'm thankful for. 100% agree. Yeah. You, you, go ahead. No, well, okay. I was just saying, we just had David Fisk from Charlotte Symphony on and um, I'm just curious how how closely your parallel paths run because there there are some synergies there, right, between music and performing arts and and us evolving as a city and becoming a bigger and more vibrant and more connected city. And and again, I, I look at it as a maturation when Blumenthal was founded to open the Performing Arts Center in '92. At at that point in time in Uptown, there was not a nice restaurant opened after 5:30. Of course, that's that changed something? in a good way, hasn't oh, right. it? And so at, at the outset, our, our goal, and and this precedes my time by 10 years, I came in 2003. So those folks who worked wonderfully hard back then were about creating a center city that was vibrant, that uh, that was a source of pride, that was a place that people wanted to come to. And 
And for our first 10 years or so, that was really our focus. I think we've migrated from uh, this focus on activating Uptown Charlotte now to being much more focused on change that we can create in people mm-hmm. and to use the arts as a way to create change through the experience of coming to see the arts, the, the experience of being involved with the arts, particularly programs that are focused on young people to nurture talent and to create opportunity. So we've we've moved appropriately from this focus on on activating our facility to being a change maker with people. You know, and that's awesome. You guys mentioned a lot of that. If you go into, you know, your website and the about us, and we had talked, you know, about the 877.8 billion, but you guys have infused more than 50 million annually into our local economy. You put on over a thousand events annually, um, 16 resident companies. Really, you've had more than about 8 million people attend events uh, during the first 25 seasons. So it's a huge impact, but one that really comes and nails me, and I want to jump into this. You talk about helping people, and we were just talking with David about how they partner with CMS and and how they can bring music into the lives of children. And I have a four-year-old, and I explain really how music... It's something that it's, it's not maybe something that I've always been passionate about, but you can see that he is right. He loves it. Um, and what he's been able to do through his pre-K and, and CMS. And when they get the opportunity to go in the corner of music, he'd be the one that was there. And now like all the kids want to go into music. Right. And our teachers like, it's just fa- fascinating. They used to all be doing different things. And now it's like 80% of the kids are just in the music corner. Right. And so that that's really exciting to me, but this says that you guys more than 150,000 students participate annually in your student focused programs. And that right there, if you're going to really make an impact, it needs to start with kids, right? Teaching them at a young age. Tell us how important that is to your organization and how you guys do support not only all people, but kids in general. It's, it's really integral to our mission. One, one program that I'll focus on that we're particularly proud of that is a nationally revered model is our high school musical theater awards program called the Bloomy Awards. In a number of these have cropped up across the country. I'm, I'm actually chair of the national program, which is called the Jimmy Awards, the National High School Musical Theater Awards program. And I, so I know all of these, and, and Charlotte is, is really the gold standard. It's, it's done a lot to not only nurture talent, but most importantly, open doors. You know, many of these kids that have talent, they grow up in families that, that are not worldly wise. They don't know how to connect you know, into the business community and, and to, to apply for scholarships, various things. We, we have kids that we've taken to New York as a part of the Jimmy Awards who have never been on an airplane before. So, you know, we can look back just in, in we're coming up on 10 years of that program, so it's relatively new. Pre-pandemic uh, from that program, we had three of those students who were alumni who were starring in Broadway shows, not wow. in Broadway shows, starring in Broadway shows. Another who was starring in an off-Broadway show and a fifth who um, who had his first two above title billing producing credits on Broadway. And, and of those five I mentioned, three of them are actors of color. Wow. Awesome. And, and so when when you look at what we can do to not only nurture talent, but to open doors so that that talent can be can manifest itself and have a chance. You know, the, these kids are, are succeeding. I say kids. They're adults now, many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And they're succeeding because they've got the talent. But there is a place for us to open doors. 
Uh, we, we have a young man that'll be here in another week who's now the, the, the tour, uh, the stage manager for the national tour of Les Miserables. He came up through that program. I made some introductions when he graduated from college and uh, he, he wanted to go out on tour, went out on with Waitress and now is the stage manager for Les Miserables. So again, these, these folks are achieving this because they have the ability but there's there's a role for somebody like Blumenthal to open doors so that they have a fair shot. And you, uh, so outside of Charlotte, you alluded to some of this. You're a producer and an investor in theater and the performing arts on and off Broadway. Could you dive a little more into that and your history there? We've been doing this for a little over 20 years. I was involved with this before I even came to, to Charlotte. And uh, so there, there literally is no performing arts center in the country that's more active in, in that zone of, uh, of raising investment capital to help these shows launch. You'd be shocked at how fragile most of them are. And, and, and they, they may become, you know, well-established brands and beloved and, and stable, but getting them launched is really difficult. Uh, I, I wrote the very first check, for instance, to develop the musical Waitress that Sarah Bareilles wrote the score for. We um, So we've been involved with about 175-plus different productions, mainly Broadway, but uh, some of the London West End, national tours. Beyond what we do uh, individually, we actually have, have a national role as manager of a group called the Independent Presenters Network that include places like the Kennedy Center. And so we aggregate investment dollars from... Uh, 30 plus different institutions like Blumenthal to take a stake in major Broadway shows so that they are able to mount. Again, they're very fragile creatures. And so for us to organize money that comes from Charlotte, as well as all across the country, helps assure that we have a vibrant pipeline, that we're not just seeing things come to our stages that have been there a gazillion times before, you know? I love cats. I don't want to do cats every year. Sure. Yeah. So, so this gives us a way, you know, to encourage new things and particularly things that are innovative, that, that stretch the art. We, we were one of the very first investors in the color purple. Um, and, and that was one of the, one of the first Broadway shows to very authentically attract African-American audiences because it told a story that mattered to African-American audiences, had actors that people identified with. And, and we stepped forward way back in 2004 to help that show launch because we felt like if we're going to change the conundrum of who comes to the theater, that it's a diverse audience, not just a white audience, that we needed to support work that told that stories story. yeah. that had performers, you know, creatives, that uh, were relevant. And so we're very proud of that leadership. So I want to dive into this. We, we actually talked about this, you know, in the previous podcast, there's a lot of things, you know, in my life, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of performing arts, right? My, my, my role was more like kind of in sports and all these different things, but you know, probably 15 years ago, I, I, uh, sorry, honey, but I took my ex-girlfriend at the time, <laughs> girlfriend at the time, and we went to my first Broadway show, uh, which was Wicked. And I thought it'd be cool because, you know, I know the kind of the story around it and everybody's grown up on it, but I'd never really been to an event. And, um, I, you know, I, I was kind of like, we'll see what it's all about. Had the best time ever. Thought it was unbelievable. I mean, really the performers were absolutely incredible. You know, I walked out of there and I was like, I've been missing 
like a big piece. Like this is really, really cool. So in that note, I know you guys are, are all over a lot of different things, but talk to somebody that maybe doesn't know a lot about, you know, Blumenthal Performing Arts. Why do they need to get involved in it and, and what are ways that they can? Great question. Thank you. That, you know, I, I, a couple of things. First of all, you know, maybe maybe one of the benefits of the pandemic, what we've been through is that I think most of us have a new appreciation for being with other people mm-hmm. to experience these things. Netflix is fine. Watching the show on shows online is is fine, but nothing replaces being shoulder to shoulder with people to have these experiences, that communal experience. You know, it goes all the way back probably to the cavemen sitting around the campfire and telling stories, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a we have a renewed appreciation for that. I, I think as well, you know, in, in this world where people feel very isolated, it's important to connect with other people that share a passion and interest with the things that we value. And and particularly the things we do with young people, it's really one of the things that, that we accomplish there is for them to understand they're not alone. There are other people that that appreciate the things that they do, mm-hmm. you know, that that can geek out over a Broadway show and listening to, to show tunes or whatever. And so that ability to connect people so they don't feel alone just becomes more and more important for all of us. So tell us about um, we went a little bit into into the stuff that you guys have done, obviously, for kids. Um, if you go on their website, you can literally just click education. You're going to be blown away uh, by everything that they do. But you guys have also won a lot of different awards. And, and one of them is the, is the Tony Awards. And I think you guys have a pretty solid trophy case over there. Tell us if people don't know what that is. Tell us what that award is. And tell us why do you think, you know, Blumenthal has not only won so many of them, um, but how important and how special is that for y'all? The, t- the Tony Awards is is the Broadway equivalent of equivalent of the uh, the Oscar and and so it's an annual uh competition and show I I am a Tony voter I'm actually I've re- achieved lifetime status as a Tony there Awards voter wow. so so I've, I've been voting since 97 and now I have lifetime privileges to continue to be a Tony voter and um you know what's most important is it's um you know, it gives people, it gives us a way to recognize the best of a lot of strong shows. So we we are winners of 13 Tony Awards, and that comes from our involvement as a co-producer uh, and producer of various shows. So we, we have 13 so far and are very, very proud of that. And you can see them at the Belk Theater. Wow. So I, I will awesome. mention this, and, and a lot of people, when they think of Broadway, it's like, I have to go to New York, right? But Broadway travels everywhere. For people that are not um, up to date, you know, when you think of of a show like Broadway that kind of goes on the road, you know, those are the same people. And you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but you can have that exact experience. So, you know, you go up to New York, it's like getting a ticket to Broadway, like you got to win the lottery or you got to have a lot of money, right? You know, I mean, it's, or you have to plan way ahead of time, right? You're not just showing up being like, oh, sweet, let's do this. Maybe for some, but for some of the ones that are high level, it's like, you, you got to plan to that. But we have that opportunity right here in our backyard. So tell people that might not understand that you're getting the best of the best. It's, it's, you know, if you go to the Carolina Panthers and you, and you have, I'll just say it, Patrick Mahomes show up. Okay. That's unbelievable. You get to see Patrick Mahomes come and play. The same kind of thing happens in Broadway. Explain for people that might not understand how that works and really the opportunity that we have in our backyard to see unbelievable, you know, world known or people that are, are rising in that kind of fame 
uh, in this arena? The, the quality really is high. We, we, we really only work with the top tier of touring shows. There, there is a bit of a food chain and at a certain point in time, some of them, uh, you know, get to be non-union and, and the quality varies a lot. We only focus on that top tier and, and no city in the country this last year uh, announced more titles than we did, 19. So when you look at, at what people have available to them, it exceeds what they would have available to them in touring Broadway uh, as compared with major cities like San Francisco and Boston, for instance. So, so what they have access to is, is incredible. But we do focus on that top tier. And the other thing that, that I think people don't realize, and, uh, and sometimes I say this, they think I'm spinning it, but it's absolute truth, is that frequently the shows are actually a little bit better than they are in New York. And the reason for that is that, especially when a show is brand new, there is never enough time to do the development work. Uh, the, these shows open knowing that they still have work to do. There, we have a saying in the theater business that new musicals are never done, they just open. So in subsequent productions, when they go on tour, and that, that may be 12, 18, 24 months later, in the meantime, the creatives have had a chance to reflect on what they did. And and they have a to do list of things that they didn't just didn't get around to, and it's and it's everything from the script to the costumes to the set, a variety of things. So when the tour comes around, there's an opportunity to improve that, and 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 give you you know an idea of how this plays out. Even with a big show, we were co-producers of Monty Python Spamalot. That was a huge hit around the world. We created five different productions of it. There was Broadway. There was the U.S. tour. There was London. Uh, we licensed a production to Steve Wynn in Las Vegas, and then we did an Australian production. Every one of those versions, uh, the creatives made improvements, but we never went back. We never backtracked <clears throat> and and inserted those improvements in on Broadway. It's just too expensive to do that. So people on the road saw a better show than they saw in New York, and that's frequently the case. Do, do they bring, this is a dumb question, I guess, but do they bring all of their stage props and everything with them or is that kind of set per city? Yeah, for, for, for the most part, everything they bring with them and, and even, you know, in well-equipped theaters, as we're blessed to have here, we strip out everything. And the reason for that is that the, the goal with these productions when they're designed is for them to be as identical as possible in every city. So, um, so that means right down to the individual light fixtures that you want to tour with those things so that there's no variation in that light fixture that, you know, maybe the, the fixture at the local theater is a little dusty inside and it's not going to register the same way that it will because we have a touring package and those things are kept at a high level. So, so yeah, it's all stripped away. Uh, it, the logistics are amazing because even with the biggest shows, uh, we typically have 16 hours to be able to bring a show in so mm -hmm. that, so the sequ sequence will be, I mean, a, a good example right now, we're playing a soldier's play. It closed at the Kennedy center on a Sunday night. The trucks rolled on Monday. We began rolling, uh, out the set Monday afternoon and then open Tuesday night. Wow. So, 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 so they will travel up to 500, 600 miles and then have 16 hours 
to, to, to install it and have it ready for the first performance. Ooh. It's quite astounding. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> and how long do they average staying in town? You know, how, you know, when they're here and set up, is it, is it a week? Is it months? Is Our, it, does it vary? We, we are, we are a generally a one week market mm-hmm. with some shows that go longer. And, um, so, you know, we, we're a strong enough market. We could probably be a multi-week market uh, for, for more shows, but we've opted to keep the run short so that we can do more. If, if, if we did shows that were here longer, instead of 19 titles, I probably would have been announcing 12 titles or something. So, so we've kept the run short so we can have a, a wider diversity of what we offer people. What is your favorite show? Oh, that's, you know, that's that question, like, what's your favorite child? <laughs> it's like, I can't yeah, answer this. Yeah, let's not put him on the spot there. Huh? I mean, I'm, I'm, first There's of all, so many what, good what, ones. What, whatever I'm working on right now, whatever's closest to me, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's what, what my favorite is. And, and actually, you know, my involvement frequently is well before it gets to Charlotte. So sometimes I'm deeply involved with these shows. And then by the time they get to Charlotte, it may be two years later. And, and so I'm enjoying seeing it here and the fruits of our labor, but my deepest involvement was well before it. And to give you an idea how, how long the time horizon can be, uh, a a show that is playing in London now that will open on Broadway uh, this summer is a musical version of back to the future. And, and I came on board as one of the initial partners way back in 2014. Very cool. And um, so it will be, you know, probably nine, nine or ten years after that involvement that it finally lands in Charlotte. Wow. So frequently these things do the gestation and the process, particularly if it involves London, it can be a long, a long process. Hmm. How often do these, do the performers practice is it i mean is it every day all day i mean how much time are they committing to making sure I their mean, role is perfect because every show i've seen in my eyes has been perfect yeah I mean, well, I, they don't make mistakes it seems like or either they they're really good at masking them you know it's it, it's a very grueling process uh you know it's it sounds like a, it must be a cushy job just to, to do eight shows a week no, six days away but uh uh but it is it is a it is a hard process so so yeah they keep working on it there there's a you know a small army of understudies and swings people a swing is somebody that learns multiple roles anything from from two to six other roles um they have to work particularly hard you know to always be prepared um and because sometimes they can shift then on the middle of the show uh years ago first time i presented miss saigon we had a situation where in the middle of the show the kim the lead woman uh she she had her hand on the floor and, and, and these stage floors usually have what are called automation tracks. So it's like it's a piece of steel and the scenery moves along with it pulled by chain underneath. She had her hand there and as a piece of scenery moved along, she cut the, the edge of her hand <clears throat> and it was the end of the scene. She ran off. There was about 10 minutes until that character came back on. Her understudy quickly dressed and came on 10 minutes in the middle of the show. So they always have to be prepared. The, the understudies and swings, at the very least, Thursday afternoons is usually devoted to understudy and swing rehearsal. Um, 
There's usually somebody that sits out in the theater every night and watches the show and takes notes and then talks to them. So there, the quality control is really extensive and very high. Hmm. That's so fascinating. They're, they're so talented. I, uh, I was in New York over Christmas or over the holidays and uh, saw six and then the Rockettes and the Rockettes. I could go see that every single year. Like it just, it put me in the spirit, put me in the mood. Like Christmas was here and we, we really enjoy it. Six, six, six was is, really, it was hilarious. It's a, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And, and another one, you know, that uh, is a good example of how early we are onto these things. We are, we frequently take a team to the Edinburgh festival fringe every year, which is the largest arts festival in the world. And so we first saw six in a tent Really? It was a, a tent, uh, it's called, it's a purple cow. It's called the Utterbelly, and it seats 500 people. There was no set, and, um, and that was the very first production. We saw it before the British producer, who now presents it around the world. We saw it before he did. Okay. So that's it. We, we, you know, we, we seek out these things, and it may take them years to get to Charlotte, but we have our eye on them. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fascinating how that's it starts. I want to jump in. So you said a lot of things. I think when people that we've had on, you know, in the arts in Charlotte specifically, I think a lot of people are excited how far we've come, but I think everybody is even more eager and optimistic on where we can go. Right. And I think hearing some of the things that you said, as far as Charlotte being really the biggest city to get these shows is fascinating, right? Like, I mean, everybody looks at Charlotte and they still want to call us kind of a small city, but as we've continued to grow, those are the things that are going to differentiate us. Those are the things that are going to drive people here, whether it's food or arts or whatever you're interested in. But those are two big categories that I think have continued to grow a lot over the last 10 years. How does this community support you? Because you guys are giving back, but you guys have endowments. You have opportunities for corporate support. What does that look like and how can this community continue to support you, but ultimately continue to give you the funds necessary to continue to grow uh, and, and really provide all of the things that you do, which is way more than just the performance, right? I mean, there's so much stuff that you guys do. Explain how our community can get involved. How do they support it? And how do we continue to give you the tools necessary to, to I would say, live out your dream, right? And continue to grow what we're doing. I don't know. I'm going to speak on your behalf. but Well, thanks. We we, we have been lucky over the years to, to, to have philanthropic partners, uh, you know, mainly individuals who have helped us. And particularly, you know, when you talk about making the arts accessible to everybody where, where price isn't a barrier. And particularly when you invest in young people, those programs are expensive. And, you know, and unlike a Broadway show, uh, they can't pay for themselves. And so, you know, we're, 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 we're glad to bring a lot of big Broadway shows here and are thankful for that support. That doesn't need charitable support. But, but obviously we aspire to be way beyond that. And for us to be more than that, then it, it, it takes individuals who are ready to provide subsidy for these programs. And, and, and particularly when it comes to uh, attending a show, you know, we, we, there are a lot of people that can't afford our tickets. We know that. So we raise money so that uh, price is not a barrier. When we worked on, immer when we created Immersive Van Gogh, uh, which, which is something else we have a national reputation for, we, we gave instructions to our ticketing staff that uh, that price would not be a barrier and that if they talked to anybody that couldn't afford a ticket, that they had authorization to find out 
what they reasonably could pay. We didn't just quickly say, oh, well, you can't afford it. Well, it's all free. They talk a little bit to find out if they could pay $5, $10, because we think having some skin in the game actually is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But but we gave instructions during that six and a half month run of Immersive Van Gogh that uh, that price would not be a barrier. And fortunately, you know, we have people in the community that are able to write checks to help us to have a goal like that. That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's all about it's, getting everybody, no matter how much money you have, the opportunity. Um, and I think that's fantastic. Now, it's also, you know, I mentioned my board frequently just in terms of inclusion for our young people. I said, you know, it, it's important for our kids at a relatively young age to at least walk through the doors. Because if they don't walk through the doors through one of our theaters, they will grow up thinking they're not invited. Mm-hmm. That places like Blumenthal that have been created for them, they'll have the misconception that it's not for me, that they've never been invited, they never felt welcome. And so just the experience of coming and, and, and being welcomed, being treated respectfully, uh, that's a key thing to help these kids grow up and feel included. Love yeah. that. You guys, I mean, being around this for at least 20 years here in Charlotte, you know, it seems like you guys are involved in a lot of different things, but somebody like yourself and obviously just the vision of, of finding, you know, the right, uh, you know, Broadway show in a tent. And now nine years later, it is what it is. That's a huge runway. That's a long runway, right? So I can, I'm just going to go ahead and think that you, you think five, 10 years in advance already, where do you envision, like, what are the, the dreams of Blumenthal? What are some things maybe that you haven't been able to implement yet? things that you want to implement in the future, what's kind of your you know, viewpoint of where this can go and, and what's next for you guys? You know, our, 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 to address the, the planning horizon, I, I will say uh, if, if, if you're if anybody that's a Star Trek fan, remember that game they played that was like a three-dimensional chess game? <laughs> and, and that's how we do scheduling. Yeah, there are some things that are way out there, uh, but we do things on very short notice. And Immersive Van Gogh that I mentioned, which to this day is is the largest of any of these immersive art shows that have happened in, in the U.S. We still hold the record of the largest of any of these in any city. Uh, we, we actually put that together in four and a half months in the midst of a pandemic. You know, our board approved it in January, February of 21, the height of the pandemic. And it was we had been losing money like crazy because we couldn't do shows and and we didn't let a lot of people go. We kept people on staff. Um, And, and so, so we leaned into that and created something that drew over 300,000 people in at the height of the pandemic. So we, 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 we can move fast as well. This area of immersive, that is the big growth area. And, and after Van Gogh, we, we did stop after six and a half months, could have gone on much longer, <clears throat> but we were definitely in a temporary facility where, you know, it had no heating and cooling, water, lots of other things. So, um, so we are planning to, um, you know, go back into that immersive area and to, and to create a permanent home to do immersive work, not just things like digital art, but live performance, uh, virtual reality. And to do it on a grand scale, you know, there are a lot of these immersive things that are more kind of Instagram moments in a closet. And, and we do things, you know, on a very grand scale. So we're out there searching for 
uh, a building pad to create something. And, and again, this is something that is of national significance. What we did with Van Gogh ranks as the largest. What we're planning to do in the future, you know, is of great ambition that, that could well be the largest among people who are experimenting in that immersive world. I love that. We have, we work with people all over the world, um, specifically manufacturers, suppliers, whatever. And every time I talk to them about Shaw, they're like, oh yeah, you guys got a bunch of banks and you know finance, right? And I'm like, man, that's still the vibe. Yeah, we do. But we're so much more than that. You know, and, and what you just said is that like, we're the biggest city from that van. I mean, that's incredible, right? Like that's something that you guys should be super proud of. And people in Charlotte should be super proud of and be super excited to continue to help you out and support you so you can do that again, you know, in a different one. Um, so that's pretty fascinating. I was looking at your board. I don't know if there's a, a company on here that isn't on the board. I mean, <laughs> and these are the, the the big players in Charlotte. How did, how is the board formatted and, and how do they play a role in supporting you guys as well? We, we have a maximum of 30 positions. And, and I will say that that board, I think has been one of the secret sauce elements as to why Blumenthal has been successful that, we, we have had good boards over the years. People, um, you know, people who care deeply about the community, most of all, but, uh, but they have good business savvy. I, I, I'm not sure that, you know, many of my peers would have the support I've had to do things like investing in shows. Uh, you know, with Van Gogh, it was about a five and a half million dollar bet that we made at the ha- height of Ooh. the pandemic. Wow. Um, and so, so a nonprofit board, and by the way, when we did that, the number one goal was to get people back to work. Mm-hmm. It ended up doing well financially, but the number one goal was to get 200 plus of our teammates that had been put out of work to get them active again. So, so, so the fact that you know we have a board that cares is, is reasonably entrepreneurial and business focused, but ultimately understands that we can accomplish a lot of good. And, and do things that nobody else can do. I mean, we really do try to focus on, on not being repetitive of other people, but to lean into things that if we don't do it, nobody will. I love that. Um, and before we kind of wrap this up, what's the best way for people to, to learn more, get in contact with you? What's the best way to do that? We are certainly active out there on social media. And so we encourage people to, uh, to go first to our website, BlumenthalArts.org. From there, they can connect to us on Instagram, Facebook, all the various channels. We, we have a full-time person that, that works on that to push content out to make sure that people have access to information. And we're proud of the quality of information that goes out there. So we're not going to just flood your email with a bunch of ads. We'll give you some insight into what we're doing. But the best, best place to start is BlumenthalArts.org. I love it. I mean, this has been incredible. I, you know, we, I mentioned this a lot, but we're so excited that we've been able to do this for five and a half years, but to have people on like yourself that call Charlotte home, that you wake up every day and want to make this a better place is, is just fascinating for us. I know when we get done with the podcast, it's like that juice you need to keep going. And it's just exciting to be in a city like this, that, you know, now that I call home and and to see so many amazing people that support organizations like Blumenthal, but having leaders like yourself that, that, you don't want to just settle for like, let's get a Broadway show. You're, you're literally on the forefront of that. You're trying to elevate us to be the best. And, and that is something you should be super proud of. Well, thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing for the community. Absolutely, man. We, we're super thankful and looking forward to getting more, more engaged and, and attending more shows and enjoying that. Uh, 
greatness that you bring to the city. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tom. This has been amazing. Everybody, like we always say, please like, share, comment, go follow uh, all of their social media. Uh, Make sure you do that. And so you can see all the content they put out and, and, and go to some shows, you know, go to the website, learn how you can support it. If you're a business that's looking to get involved Uh, You can go check out their board. I'm sure you know somebody on there and you can have a conversation with them. I'm sure they'd be glad to to talk about that. But, you know, anything we can do to raise the awareness of of what you guys are doing and the amazing things, uh, we'll continue to do that. And and just really blessed to be able to share your story. Thanks very much. Excellent. Until uh, until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.